So today we're going to be talking about um, some common food intolerances that we see in clinic um, with our naturopath and PAT practitioner, Stephen Judge, um, specifically reactions to um, common food components, including salicylates, amines and glutamates. So Stephen, do you mind just starting off with what exactly is a food intolerance? Yeah, sure, Jess. So yeah, having a food intolerance uh, is technically different to having a food allergy. Um, so although a lot of people do talk about these kind of interchangeably, like they're the same thing, yep. they're not. So the more commonly known food allergy is technically speaking uh, an immune response uh, or an IgE reaction to the protein part of foods mm -hmm. to be more specific. Mm -hmm. So the gluten in wheat or the casein in dairy, yep. for example. So there's this immediate kind of immune system reaction to this protein part of the food. Uh, with food intolerance, there technically is no immune system reaction involved, like with allergy, but rather what's happening with food intolerances is that the chemicals found naturally within foods, so for example, the salicylate, the amine or the glutamate, and uh, histamine, a common type of amine, um, what these food chemicals do is they irritate nerve endings in different parts of the body, but particularly in the gut. So food intolerances are more involved with the digestive system. And when we are particularly talking about food chemical intolerances, so the food chemicals, uh, salicylate intolerance, amine intolerance, glutamate or histamine intolerance, the reason people are experiencing food intolerance symptoms is that the person has trouble breaking down and eliminating these naturally occurring food chemicals from the body. And I guess just to distinguish from other sort of common, um, like uh, when it comes to like um, gluten and dairy intolerance, which is caused by either celiac or an enzyme deficiency, yeah. this is different to those, correct? Yeah, yeah. technically yeah. speaking, yeah. yeah. Cool. A, bit, a bit different. So there are mm. many kinds of intolerances like like you said, they can be due to enzyme deficiencies. Mm -hmm. um, but today we're going to be specifically talking about these food chemical yep. intolerances where uh, the we're having trouble eliminating them from the body and breaking yep. them down. Yep. Yeah. So I guess another key difference is that food intolerance symptoms are a bit trickier to pinpoint in people because they're more delayed than allergy symptoms. You know, the food intolerance symptoms can manifest hours or even days after the offending foods have been ingested. And they're kind of a broad range of symptoms. You know, there could be headaches and migraines or brain fog, nausea, could be some gut symptoms. Um, there could be joint pain and inflammation. And they typically tend to be quite delayed and all over the place, whereas the allergy symptoms tend to be very immediate. Mm, clear cut. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you about symptoms, um, but I believe you're going to delve into them more specifically when it comes to the specific type, um, types of food intolerances. Yeah, so let's get right into that. So the first food chemical intolerance we see in a lot of clients is salicylates. Yeah. So salicylates are a family of plant chemicals found basically mostly in a huge variety of plants. So fruits and veggies, nuts, herbs, tea and coffee, alcohol. Um, they're ubiquitous among plant foods. Yeah. Um, but they're also very high in olive oil and coconut oil. Um, and they exist in so many plant-based foods because plants produce them as part of their own defense system against the environment. Mm -hmm. So plants protecting themselves against stress and insects and fungi. Yeah. 
um, it's an adaptive mechanism. So there are so many foods with salicylates, like it's a pretty huge list, um, but some of the kind of big ones are all herbs and spices. Uh, broccoli, sweet potato, berries, tea, wine, almonds. And it seems um, to be a lot of healthy foods as yeah. well. Like we hear a lot of people who have started on a healthy diet, clean yep. eating, and then they start getting these symptoms. Yeah, mm. start getting worse. Mm. It's all very confusing for people. Yeah. Um, but so what may be going on, because, you know, these chemicals, these food chemicals that exist, they're not bad. Um, they should be harmless. Yeah. For whatever reason, in certain people, the body is not dealing with them and they've become intolerant. Yeah. But see so yeah, all these kind of good foods start to cause a lot of issues. Mm. You know, I've even met people here who feel, you know, feel better symptomatically on junk food. Yeah. It's like this weird it's very counterintuitive. Yeah. So, so that may be great in the short term, but we don't want to eat like that no. later. You're going to be missing out on a lot of nutrients and vitamins in these healthy foods. Exactly. And that's going to cause more issues down the track. Yes. Mm. So because there are so many foods, if you have a salicylate intolerance, like I said before, the symptoms might seem all over the place. And you might be trying other classic things, such mm. as you, know, you might have heard gluten and dairy-free will yep. kind of relieve all your It's kind of the go-to. Yeah, or taking supplements, but these don't seem to work or they're very short-lived. It's because you're kind of not dealing with um, the foods that you're ingesting yeah. daily that are you're intolerant to. Yeah, and a lot of supplements and herbs are actually high in salicylates as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. particularly herbs. Yeah. Mm, and medications, yeah. actually. Yeah, um, But... So with salicylates, there's quite a broad range of symptoms, but there's classic key ones to look out for. Mm -hmm. So there's the atopic triad of symptoms. Yeah. So there are respiratory issues, the nasal congestion, runny nose, wheezing, sneezing, mm -hmm. uh, asthma, and the inflammatory skin conditions such as eczema. Yeah. Um, many people with salicylate chemical intolerance experience all of these in combination. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so the term atopic triad refers to these three collection of symptoms, the respiratory symptoms, the asthma in the skin. Mm. Um, that term atopic triad refers to them as being driven by allergies. Yeah. Um, but I guess I wanted to highlight that, you know, many people experience this triad but don't test positive for allergies. Mm. But so this could be a sign that you actually have a salicylate intolerance and you don't have a true allergy. Yeah, because not salicylate intolerance can't really be tested with sort of regular allergy tests and that you're right no. that is something we do hear a lot yeah. um and it's sort of yeah makes things confusing for people mm. Mm. and so there's that triad of symptoms and there's another key group uh, the digestive symptoms so mm -hmm. salicylate chemical intolerance can typically drive a lot of bloating and abdominal cramping mm -hmm. uh, diarrhea and alternating bowels um, because these chemicals basically drive a lot of gut inflammation if you're intolerant to them yeah uh, so we do see many clients that have this classic combo of the respiratory symptoms along with digestive symptoms. If you've got the combination there, that's a big sign mm. of potential salicylate issues. Yep. Um, and then a commonly overlooked but very real symptom of salicylate intolerance includes its effect on mood. It can mm. drive a lot of brain fog. Uh, but in kids, it may be a driver of hyperactivity in children. Um, this was discovered in the 70s by a paediatric allergist and he observed a significant improvement in children when he removed salicylates from the diet. Wow. Yeah, and clinically I and other practitioners would agree we do observe significant improvement when working with these kids. Um, so being able to actually treat them for it too is yeah. just another mm. step, which is huge. Yeah, I'm sure the parents would attest to that as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, with the salicylates, I guess the key symptoms are those respiratory issues and the inflammatory skin issues, eczema and the gut symptoms. And uh, it can really affect mood and in kids particularly cause uh, a lot of behavioural symptoms. Um, So I guess moving on to the second key food chemical we treat a lot of people for is something known as amines. Mm So amines are, again, they're a naturally occurring food chemical. They're not bad or good. They're just a natural food chemical. And they exist in food as the result of the breakdown of proteins as food ages or ripens. So amines are very high in foods that are overly ripe, overcooked, grilled or charred, processed or fermented or decomposing. So the foods that Classically, you see them in uh, cheese, uh, wine, chocolate, uh, and processed meats, mm-hmm. uh, beer, yeast extracts, and fish products. Um, amines also increase the speed of ripening in fruits that go soft. So they're very high in banana, avocado, tomatoes, and also broad beans. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are many different kinds of amines. So... For example, tyramine is the amine very high in aged and fermented foods, yep. so like aged cheese and cured and smoked meats and fish. Mm-hmm. And we have the classic histamine, which is very high in fermented foods and beverages, so like beer, wine, sauerkraut, uh, cured meats, foods with vinegar, mm-hmm. avocado. Uh, phenylethylamine is an amine found in chocolate and nuts, legumes, uh, a lot of meat and seafood. And there's polyamines, which are high in rice bran, wheat germs, some nuts. And so, yeah, there's many different kind of amines. Um, So, for example, we do see a lot of histamine intolerance here at the clinic. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'll get into symptoms. So, for example, some of these really high amine foods, such as chocolate and cheese and... uh, fermented foods you know i guess clinically we i do see a lot of people here experiencing headaches Mm. um and headaches and migraines that you know they've tried supplements and this and that but nothing seems to be uh knocking it on the head a lot of people who experience migraines and headaches Mm -hmm. especially if chronic and recurrent Mm -hmm. um tend to be reacting to all these very high amine foods yeah you'll hear the classic um red wine yeah, the red wine, well, the, red wine the chocolate, migraine. the cheese. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah all, all the all yummy that. stuff. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, yeah, so with these symptoms, migraines and headaches are a key symptom. Yeah. Um, as are kind of IBS symptoms and eczema. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of overlap here with salicylates. Mm. But um, if you're getting a lot of migraine and headaches, it might be a sign that you also have or yeah. um, have a more dominant amine tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, amine and amine intolerance can also drive behavioral symptoms in children, but mm. to distinguish from salicylates, uh, the salicylates can kind of make kids very hyperactive and silly mm-hmm. in their behavior, but amine chemical intolerance can actually drive a lot of aggression. In That's children. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Kids that fight back can yep. seem very uncontrollably angry. Yeah. Um, so that's a really interesting distinction. Yeah, it is. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's amine chemical intolerance. And then the third key one we want to talk about is glutamates. 
So glutamates are a type of amino acid or protein. Uh, that it's, you know, glutamate, again, it's not good or bad. It's essential for our bodies. It's, glutamate is actually one of the most abundant neurotransmitters in the brain. Mm-hmm. So it activates or excites cells in the brain. So it's referred to as being an excitatory neurotransmitter. Yeah. So you could almost think of glutamate as being a stimulant. And while it does have an essential role in the body, it can cause a range of issues kind of related to its excitatory nature if people happen to have a glutamate food chemical intolerance. Mm -hmm. So in food, glutamate is kind of found in this, it's found in either a bound form or a free form. Mm -hmm. So it's the free form of glutamate that can cause symptoms in people and huge spikes of it in the bloodstream. Yeah. So this free glutamate is bound in many natural food sources. And when it's in this free form, uh, free glutamate basically enhances the flavor of food. So Mm. this is why we find it in very high amounts in tomato, cheese, mushrooms, stock cubes, sauces, meat extract and yeast extract. Yeah. Soy sauce, milk powder, whey protein. Anything concentrated yeah. as well, yeah. So foods most likely to cause symptoms are the tastiest yeah. ones <laughs> as they have the highest level of levels of these natural, natural chemicals. That's true, yeah. And so another source of glutamate is MSG. So MSG stands for monosodium glutamate, and MSG is basically a synthetic form of glutamate uh, that is specifically made to make processed foods more palatable and tasty. Mm. So many people are extremely sensitive to MSG. Mm-hmm. It can drive a lot of headaches and migraines in particular. I guess because it's in such a concentrated form of glutamate as well that yeah. doesn't usually occur in nature. Yeah. That's why it can be sort of, and it can trigger reactions to these natural ones as well because your body can't distinguish. For sure. Yeah. So I guess the most common symptoms of glutamate sensitivity are headaches Um and the other key kind of collection of symptoms here, people experience a nausea and a lot of sweating and a rapid heartbeat, uh, chest pain, all these things that can kind of be triggered by, you know, this excitation, yeah. uh, you know, pumping adrenaline mm. kind of symptoms, mm-hmm. the sweating, getting a headache, rapid heartbeat, they might feel a bit nauseous. And, you know, there's some evidence out there, although I believe it's only animal studies, but there's some evidence potentially linking the glutamate sensitivity to seizures in vulnerable people who may have epilepsy, for example. Um, Just based on the idea also of how increased glutamate levels in the body leads to neurons being overstimulated and becoming, then these neurons become really sensitive to stimuli. Mm. So these neurons become very sensitive to light and sound and movement. And so when people ingest glutamate, this can kind of take them over the threshold wow. and lead into a seizure. That's amazing, yeah. Yeah, and the glutamate sensitivity is a very controversial topic mm-hmm. because there are studies on either side of the argument what, uh, arguing whether glutamate sensitivity is real and there's others saying it's actually quite rare. Mm. And then many of the studies show that there's absolutely no connection with MSG in symptoms. But these, and then there are others that do show there's a connection. Yeah. The, the studies that show absolutely no connection have been caught out as being funded by <laughs> components of the food industry. Yeah. So, I mean, that brings into question yeah. their findings. Take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. yeah. Mm. This is an obvious inherent bias there. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, the amount of people who consume MSG and notice immediate symptoms, we can't deny this is real. Yeah. 
and clinically we see a huge improvement in people's symptoms if they trial a low glutamate diet or even better once we just treat them for it using yeah. positive association technique um you know when we treat them for it we do see in clients a big reduction in the glutamate or msg related headaches yes. and sweating and hyper excitability kind of symptoms mm. Yeah. So with all of these symptoms to food chemical intolerances, how much do people have to eat of them until they actually experience the symptom? Because it seems to be in everything. Like, yeah, yeah, great question. Because some people, um, although they're delayed compared to an allergy, some people notice the symptoms you know, within a few hours yep. or that morning. Uh, some people might be you know, later in the night or the next day. Um, and it will be different for everyone, but mm. symptoms will manifest in people due to a progressively increased load of food chemicals in the body. Mm -hmm. um, and when they get symptoms, it will depend on how well they're breaking down and getting them out of the body. So everyone yeah. has their own threshold. Okay. Um, everyone will have their own unique capacity to break down and metabolize and get these food chemicals out. Yep. So this will all depend on things such as gut health and immune health, liver detox from pathways. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so for example, you could have breakfast and be fine, but after mid-morning snack or lunch, you might start to develop symptoms. Mm -hmm. By this point, this means you've kind of reached your threshold and gone over. Yeah. And these natural food chemicals are starting to affect the body. So, mm. you know, a, a bucket analogy is quite useful. Yeah. Here, so you know? kind of like getting a dropper and slowly adding and adding to the bucket or the glass, whatever, and yeah. then eventually it will just sort of overflow. And it seems random as well because it can yeah. just happen from the smallest amount, but it's the result of it sort of building up over a few days or a week or something. Yeah, mm. so it's a difficult question to answer because yeah. how much people have to eat until they reach that threshold is so different yeah. for everyone. So yeah. why do you think people uh, develop these food and chemical intolerances and do people have different thresholds? Like what determines it? Yeah, mm. so I guess what's most commonly accepted in the integrative and complementary medical community is the impact of gut health. So gut dysbiosis and leaky gut, also known as increased intestinal permeability. Yep. So gut dysbiosis, we, we simply mean by that term, you know, microbial, microbial imbalance. So mm -hmm. an imbalance of these so-called good or bad bacteria in the gut um, in favour of the bad or kind of in favour of certain species that overgrow. So while other species are becoming deficient. So this microbial imbalance going on, this causes a whole range of issues. And this dysbiosis eventually is a gateway to eventual, eventually leading to low-grade inflammation in the gut and mm -hmm. eventually leaky gut. Yeah. So there is a lot of data in the research now exploring and observing um, that the functional integrity of this gut wall plays such an important role mm -hmm. um, in the prevention of food intolerance reactions. Yeah, and we're always harping on about leaky gut. We podcast, are. Yeah. <laughs> it const it's always, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, gut health. You yeah, really it all have comes to, back um, to it. Mm -hmm. You can do anything in the world under the sun, but if you don't treat the gut yep. and treat the food intolerance mm -hmm. as driving that leaky mm -hmm. gut. Um, You're going to be stuck in the cycle. Yeah, pretty much, mm -hmm. pretty much. Um, so what's happening with leaky gut is that instead of selectively allowing tiny particles to pass through the lining of the gut, because it's where we absorb all our vitamins yep. and minerals and stuff like that, um, instead of that kind of being selective and there's these tight junctions in the wall, 
because it's inflamed and leaky, these larger undigested molecules mm. from food are getting through that shouldn't be getting through and mm. bacteria translocate into the bloodstream yeah. as well as the endotoxins that these bacteria create, which mm. all of this basically causes this big immune system reaction mm -hmm. and then starts a vicious cycle of inflammation, yeah. which drives reduced digestive function, which yeah. drives inflammation. Mm. And then people start to develop all these food chemical intolerances, yeah. salicylates and amines and glutamates, and because they should be completely harmless. Yeah. But because there's all this gut inflammation and leaky gut and the body's natural detoxification pathways become sluggish and backed up and the bucket's overflowing, yes. we start to create issues with getting them out of the body. Mm. Um, you know, for example, with amines, um, amines in food are usually broken down in the body by monoamine oxidase enzymes, MOA, MOA and enzymes in the gut. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in the intestine and liver, but they can build up in the body if amines can build up if these enzymes are depleted or sluggish and, you know, eventually mm. lead to these amine intolerance symptoms. So the same for histamine, this specific kind of amine. Um, histamine should be metabolized by diamine oxidase or DAO. Yeah. Uh, but this enzyme is produced in the lining of the gut. Yeah. So if this is inflamed and damaged on some level and there's gut dysbiosis, you're going to run into issues. Yeah. So a lot of it really does come down to the integrity of our gut wall, our gut immune health, um, our overall digestive function and addressing dysbiosis. Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, while trying to prevent as best we can this dysbiosis from manifesting again. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure other practitioners here from their clients when they turn up to their clinic um, with these gut issues that, you know, these clients seemingly out of nowhere or following the onset of a very stressful period in their life or an episode of gastro or an infection picked up while traveling or post antibiotic use. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some story along these lines, people suddenly find themselves mm. reacting to foods they were fine with. Yep. they suddenly start having digestive issues. Yeah. Um, so, you know, typically start reacting to gluten, dairy and soy and eggs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a range of these healthy fibrous plant mm. foods that they should be fine with, leaving people with all these mysterious food intolerance symptoms mm. and then obviously feeling understandably confused and yeah, physically and mentally it'd be quite off. stressful. Like a lot of these foods, like we're saying with salicylates, are very healthy. People start reacting when they start a new healthy diet or a green juice cleanse, things like that. Mm. But then also with amines, the whole um, trend with fermented foods. Yeah. So we're sort of all, more, all of us consuming it more regularly and it should be good for your gut. Like it should yeah. be doing you good, but it's actually sort of not working as it should when it comes to these intolerances. Like yeah. it may be doing more damage than good, which is really sort of frustrating trying to do the right thing. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. fermented foods are very healing yeah. for the gut and people. But, yeah. I mean, it's a classic example of, you know, someone else's medicine can be someone's poison. Yeah, so exactly. Particularly yeah. the amine and histamine yeah. intolerance people are yeah. smashing the fermented foods. Yeah. And it's really causing a lot of their symptoms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I understand how um, adults may be able to develop this over time, but what do you think about many babies and kids who seem to be having these reactions too? Yeah, well, babies and children can, you know, have intolerances from the get-go. Mm. Um, Australia does, in fact, have one of the highest rates of allergies and intolerances. Yep. Uh, many babies are born in this day and age where, so when we're asking, well, why 
do babies and kids mm. have these issues? Well, we just got to think about what may have led to um, some of these kids having gut dysbiosis. So mum may have not had the greatest mm -hmm. uh, gut ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, the mother may have dysbiosis and, mm. you know, I mean... And the baby can only on get to the child. Yeah, what they get from the mum, yeah. Yeah, so these factors are all passed on to the baby. Um, many kids are being born with levels of heavy metals and a really increased toxin load, mm. which is very damaging to the gut. Mm -hmm. um, on top of this, if kids have also or had a C-section delivery birth yep. um, and are brought up eating highly inflammatory and processed food and formulas. You know, all of this is the perfect mix for kids developing allergies and intolerances. Yeah. Um, eczema, metabolic issues, really poor immunity. Yeah, and it's definitely something we're seeing in clinic. Um, a lot more kids coming in and experiencing more severe symptoms. And I guess there's that whole hygiene hypothesis. Yeah, and well. I'll, I'll also mm. highlight that, um, you know, um, a lot of parents, a lot of women who are pregnant may have their own gut issues, food intolerance yeah. issues. And so I guess it's quite important for mum to be eating quite a wide variety of foods yeah. when they are pregnant. That's what all the research is saying yeah. now as well. Yeah. So a lot of um, mothers these days might be avoiding, you know, whole mm. food groups. Because mm. that was the foods. advice sort of when yeah. it comes to years ago that's what the research was saying to not expose to these foods but they're even saying um when it comes to introducing solids to try and introduce those yeah. highly reactive foods like peanuts yeah. and egg as early as possible as suitable of course and assuming there's no existing reaction but that's sort of where we're going to to try and build up the immunity rather than for sure yeah. so like i mean if anyone interested in preconception care the best mm. thing to do is to kind of uh, test for and treat any intolerance or allergy issues you do have and treat the gut and, yes. you know, not only benefit you, mm. but um, benefit when mom. you have kids, mm. it will really help their immune system and mm -hmm. potentially um, <clears throat> they won't have to deal with a lot of these intolerance yeah. issues. Yeah, mm. that's good. So when it comes to these food chemical intolerances, what can people do to deal with it? Yeah, so there are two major important areas to cover. So first one is you must heal the gut. So that means working with someone who can help you navigate the need for these prebiotic, probiotic, anti-inflammatory gut strategies, yeah. um, help someone to help you strengthen your overall digestive function and restore the immune system in your gut, yeah. you know, where 70% of our immune system actually is. Mm -hmm. um, so you must heal the gut, part one. But a huge part of addressing this properly of healing the gut mm. and where a lot of people trip up and don't get too deep into yeah. is to heal the gut. You've got to remove the things that you're ingesting daily mm. that are driving the gut inflammation and yeah. the leaky gut dysbiosis. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, obvious ones here, refined sugar and alcohol, for example, but you have to remove things which are impeding your gut from healing. So yeah. step two is to, you have to identify, remove, and get treated for existing food intolerances. Yeah. Because when you become intolerant to these chemicals, Every time you ingest them, you are perpetuating gut mm. inflammation, you're creating this vicious cycle for yourself, and further down the track, you may develop even more intolerances. Yeah. So step one, you've got to treat the gut with these kind of tailored, targeted treatments yeah. as a practitioner. But step two, a part of actually mm. truly healing the gut is to test for and treat food intolerances. Yeah, and I guess doing the gut work as well is going to stop these from coming back. Exactly. You need both. Idea. You really yeah. need both. Yeah. But I will say most people kind of um, 
are taking supplements, this, that, and that, but aren't dealing with the food intolerance no. aspect. Yeah, and that's half kind of, feature. Yeah. yeah, so it's just, yeah, get onto that, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we get asked a lot here about the elimination diet. Yeah. Um, which is cl- a classic um, approach used to uh, for symptom relief and to help people determine which chemicals they're reacting to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may help some people symptomatically in the short term, but I guess the issue with these diets um, in reality with people doing them is they're very restrictive and most people we meet here have found it way too stressful. Um, some people have gone on these diets and actually been quite worse yep. um some people have felt better but they try to reintroduce foods mm-hmm. and nothing's changed yeah. like their thresholds haven't changed at all yeah. so i mean it's a very hit and miss yeah especially but, if you're reacting to more than one of these chemicals like the, the list of salicylates alone is so extensive yeah. if you throw in amines and glutamates and these do often occur because if it's sort of that underlying driver of gut dysbiosis it's not going to be selective for just salicylates or just amines it's usually going to be a combination yeah exactly mm. yeah yeah and uh but so i guess testing is great because it really cuts to the chase it takes all of the guesswork out Mm. trying to figure out you know what the hell am i reacting to what's driving all this yeah and so we cut to the chase take the guesswork out test and then when we know what's driving it we can start treatments exactly yeah so and although people although a lot of people do come back with uh people may come back with classic intolerances to things such as gluten and dairy. Others don't. Mm. And it's some people, gluten and dairy may have been their issue, but for a lot of people, um, it turns out they usually on some level have issues with say salicylates and amines um, and eggs, or someone might get tested and their issue was glutamates and salicylates as well as gluten. Yeah. It's almost Um, always an underlying driver. We find. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and so at Health and Wellness Australia, um, basically how we work is after our initial appointment of testing using muscle testing for all of our mm-hmm. major food chemicals and food groups, yep. we then set up a treatment plan for clients where we use something known as positive association technique, where we're using a very nifty chiropractic tool called an AccuStim, and we run this study at the side of the spine while getting clients to hold the food chemicals that they're intolerant to. Uh, because on either side of the spine are nerve bundles and acupressure points that branch around to all the major organ groups and stimulate the immune system. So essentially what we're doing is we're trying to retrain and desensitize the immune system to no longer react to these Mm. foods or no longer react to the food chemicals in that person. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess where it can really be beneficial for people is rather than spending like literally two or three months going through elimination diets and trying to do one month for salicylates, one month for amines, for example, even though often it is longer than that, people can find this out in just one appointment in one hour. Like I think that's, yeah. And again, we get onto treatment right away in that first consultation. Salicylates or amines is a very common first treatment that we do just because it is so common and in so many, foods um so it's really yeah getting onto it right away and saving a lot of time and stress and all that yeah it does take a lot of um it takes a lot of the stress away yes yeah take dealing with the gut health and this Mm. and that and that you know it can take a while Mm. you've got to Mm -hmm. set up and all these plans so we're just getting people in and treating them yep. with the food chemicals so they don't have to be so restricted yeah. with the diet. Yeah. It's such a huge a stress step. reliever. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And so they tend to heal quicker. Mm. And yeah, mm. it's good stuff. Oh, cool.
Cool. All right, so if anyone does have any questions or suspect that you may be having um, food intolerances, we will have the link below to um, request food lists for salicylate amines and glutamates, just so you can see whether you may suspect, if you do notice any certain foods that you are reacting to or you do want to try um, starting with an elimination diet or something like that. Um, and also we'll send you some information on how our PAT treatment works and how it may be suitable for you. So our website is Natural Allergy Treatment com.au we have a bunch of other podcasts on there that you are, can listen to and you can also get in touch with us um, by calling 1300 853 or if you're in new zealand it's 09479 or send us a question online all right thanks Stephen. thanks jess chat soon